Hey gang, welcome to episode 43 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, talking to you from Los Angeles. This is an open forum episode. We have a number of questions that have come in via voicemail, Twitter, and email this week. Um, not a huge number, but almost all of them are barn burners. So got to put my thinking cap on here and answer. I was just hoping for like, a, oh, people telling me like, oh, I like this and I like that and I want to see more of this and da da da. Nope, 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 nope. You guys have questions and you're making me answer them. But that's okay. I like playing Oracle. It's fantastic. Um, I'm not being sarcastic there. I actually do. Because, like Carrie Fisher, I often don't know what I know until I say it. So let's find out what I know together today, shall we? But first, the news. All right, here's a couple of things that have slipped through the cracks uh, in the past couple of weeks uh, worth of newsletters. First up is a show here in Los Angeles, Urban Res, which has been pitched to me as a Native American cultural fair meets immersive theater. Uh, That is being put on by the Cornerstone Theater Company. And it's running April 7th through May 1st. It's got two locations that it's taking place, one on the east side of town and one on the west side. Um, this is um, this sounds almost like at the happening level. So there's going to be like the fair going on and a theater piece woven through it. Uh, it should be really interesting. And you can find links uh, over on the Twitter at No Persinium and follow through from there. Or just you know, search Cornerstone Theater Company and Urban Rez, R-E-Z, just in case you didn't know how to spell that. All right. That is the first piece of news that fell through the cracks. Uh, over in New York, a piece of news that slipped by us um, is eight players is now extended through June, partly because eight players deservedly from all accounts keeps getting extended uh i'm probably gonna have zay move eight players into the ongoing section of the newsletter because uh well i mean then she fell also is always one of those shows that like only you know it gets a three-month extension then a three-month extension and a three-month extension and it's sitting there in ongoing and hopefully eight players will be the exact same sort of beast so eight players is now through june um you know each show is if memory serves just for eight people so they sell out pretty darn quick uh and go on from there interactive piece i'm gonna be in new york soon but not on a week when they're doing it so womp womp um hey on that note i am gonna be in new york i'm gonna fly in on the 13th and leave on the 19th and i'll be catching the grand paradise i'll be going back to then she fell i'll be going back to sleep no more i'm going to get my accomplice on and i'm going to explore the wonderful world of pod plays that has popped up in new york city there's a whole bunch in the latest issue of no pro new york and i'm really excited about that there's a lot of uh, interactive art going on there at the beginning of the month before i get there wah wah and the uh, the brunch at the Gallows Green uh, at uh, at the McKittrick is uh, ending the first weekend, wah, wah. Um, and then the green's gonna be closed to say renovate, right while I'm there, and I probably won't be back for another year and a half. So you know uh, that's just the way it goes. Uh, I picked the best week, guys. I picked the best week to go, but I am really really looking forward to going and. Uh, 
checking out the Grand Paradise, which is the the whole raison for the mission. Um, all right. You know what's been great is that we've had a lot of you uh, show up here in the past month. Your your brand new listeners. Uh, I I want to apologize because I love apologizing to people. Uh, you know we throw you into the deep end here. I I I spend a lot of time in my day job explaining things, and when I was nineteen, I loved explaining things. I loved it so much that I became a professional explainer of things. I'm not 19 anymore. I don't really enjoy it the same way I do. I just want to get the conversation going. So um, we, we often just jump into things. You, you really experienced that in the FOMA Labs episode where we were just like, all, hey, let's talk about consent and immersive. Okay, here we go. Boom. Um, because that's what we were talking about kind of like right before we started. It was what was on our minds. You will often find the podcast that way. Um, look, I, I work in public media, I, specifically in public radio. That is my day job. And there's a lot of production value there. I take it really seriously. And here you note know that we are really stripped down. Uh, that's because uh, podcasts that get in the way of what they're about by we're going to play some music, man. And then we're going to like, you know, do this and we're going to take forever to like, you get to the point, just drive me up the the wall. That being said, I know I often do really long intros, but I try to keep them on topic. Um, I, my favorite podcast in the world, here we go. I'm off topic, uh, is called in our time. It is a production of the BBC and uh, BBC Radio 4, if memory serves. It's a history podcast, and it's got its opening is about 25 seconds long, and then boom, you're, you're in a history lesson about Rumi or about the dinosaurs or about you know, the lead-up to World War I or something like that. Uh, they, just, they just jump right in. So I... I, I I tend to go that way. So that's why the podcast is the way the podcast is. But I realize that some of you maybe don't understand why we're doing this. And it's kind of out of necessity. Um, This actually folds into one of the questions, a couple of the questions that are coming later on uh, that we'll get to in a second here. But um, I just want to be clear that the newsletter and the podcast are labors of love. Uh, Zay and I do the podcast uh, you know, I'm often mentioned we're not getting paid for it, um, but we're, we're not, um, which sometimes means that our ability to do things is less than what I would like it to be. Uh, that's just the nature of the beast. And, and part of the problem is that arts journalism is under siege is really dramatic, but you know, your alt weeklies, they don't they don't pay the way they used to. Uh, a lot of media now is just uh, an adjunct of the PR world. And people in PR make way more than journalists do. And they outnumber the journalists. So it's just getting harder and harder uh, for folks who aren't part of that machinery to get their voices heard. And we do try as best as we can when something appears to be appropriate for the audience to bring it to your attention. Um, We try 
we try not to prejudge anything, but we are navigating marketing copy. And we often, we screw up. Um, the reason why there were those two notices in the news this week was because uh, got past me, got past me, um, got busy with work. Those notices came in like way before deadline, which is normally a really great thing, but also is the potential for things to kind of in, implode. Um, over at work, I'm dealing with like you know three, four hundred email messages a day from PR people, so I'm just like, blah. Um, yours are the ones that matter to me, but occasionally it gets past me, and uh, I feel bad about it. Enough to be talking about it on the podcast when I didn't expect to be talking about it on the podcast. Um, so if you're listening. I'm sorry. Uh, if you have no, nothing to do with any of that, I'm sorry that you had to listen to that. Uh, hey, um, the point of this podcast, if you're still listening, please still be listening, is we are exploring this brave new world, which we have increasingly discovered is a renaissance of techniques that people have had in their back pocket for millennia. Sometimes in religious contexts, sometimes in theatrical ones, um, the whole idea of creating experiences that people move through in order to have ideas and emotions and values communicated to them through more than verbal means and more than didactic means, through interactive means. Um, is fundamental to the human experience. And we're just trying to help codify that a little bit, not necessarily to create an industry, because I'm having one of those weeks where I find industry to be a really dirty word. But in order for us to have a common parlance and a practice and to hopefully move the conversation forward, all right, that's the pretentious version of why this exists. And if I had time, I'd probably retake that. But I don't, so let's move forward. Okay, our first question for this open forum, which is our second attempt at an open forum, if memory serves, might be our third. I'm starting to lose track. We do so many episodes. Uh, Matt Bamberg-Johnson, the dear, dear Matt Bamberg-Johnson, who is one of the core members of the Speakeasy Society. You've heard him here on this show. I've watched him eat barbecue at Disneyland. He uh, sent me two questions in over Twitter, and I actually forgot that I had asked everyone to do it, so I started answering him on Twitter, and I was like, oh, right, duh. It's been a rough couple of weeks, guys. Um, here we go. Uh, at No Persinium, have any immersive events been eligible for the more major awards in LA? I know Four Larks got some ovation and stage raw nods. Followed with, I'm curious to know about how press slash awards organizations are or aren't adjusting to this emerging form. This is a great question. And the first part of the answer is, I do not understand awards. I don't. Uh, I, wish I wish I did. I also have this kind of blue-collar work ethic um, ethos thing that goes against awards um not in the sense of like oh everyone gets their own you know everyone gets a trophy not that it's just like i understand the ultimate purpose of awards as i understand them in terms of the arts is to draw attention to the material in order to get more 
butts in seats, or in this case, sneakers on stairs. Um, and it is a problem that a lot of the award shows and the awards that exist are designed to support pre-existing infrastructure. So we're left with this sort of paradox, right? Or not necessarily a paradox, we're left in a conundrum. Some of the most interesting, engaging, innovative work is being done in forms that do not fit into the boxes that are on the nomination ballots of people in these organizations. Some of these organizations have, you know, strict, you know, rules about who's in, who's out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know, Matthew, uh, what could be done about getting people, you know, ovation awards or drama desk or stage raw awards or anything in that way. Um, I'm reluctant for us to set up our own because you know, there's a, a tripling of the preaching to the choir effect. Um, we we might one day, we, we might partner with someone. Stage Raw would be a very obvious one here in L.A. Uh, to partner with because they're focused on intimate theater and there's not much more intimate than this kind of theater. Um, it's also a matter of... Um, it's also a matter of not wanting to... Not want to make anyone feel bad. Uh, I'm I've definitely been reluctant to do it um, for that reason. I've thought about it, uh, but I know that's not your question. You're you're because it wouldn't really solve the problem of activating those audiences uh, who are already tied into uh, the theater world uh, to become aware of the work that's going on. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment and ask the question. Is that the audience for this material? Is that really the audience that we desperately want to have? Um, or is that audience either just a component or maybe even a distraction from what's potentially out there? Because one of the most interesting things about immersive is that you can treat it as if it wasn't theater you can get people who would never be caught dead in a black box theater. Now, I may very well die in a black box theater, so let me note that I'm not talking about myself. In fact, odds are good I'm going to die in one, given my diet and how often I go to theater. Um, are the people who are avid consumers of that, are they who we need to be chasing, or do we need to be going after the people who are not attracted to that kind of material? And could it be that there are an equal number of people who find themselves disconnected from traditional theater, and yet they crave that live essence that immersive theater provides the very theatrical part of immersive theater, which is that there are performers sharing the space with you. It's a little more heightened because there's no proscenium, but they are sharing the space. 
and when you are in a black box theater, when you're in when you're in you know the the pantages, you're sharing space with the performers. That's what makes it so magical. Uh, and this form just is a more distilled version of that. I know there's massive amounts of crossover um, with the theater audience. You know, I'm not going to deny that. There's no question. And the backbone of the audience is the young theater going, a lot of them like just out of college crew who are, you know, every, let's be honest, you know, a lot of people go see their friend shows, it's, you know, bring their friends along to see it. What's so electric, and we know this, is when people bring a friend along, it's like, look, this is not like those other shows, you should come see this. And those people get fired up. So a part of me wants to say, I wouldn't worry so much about them as I would about developing new audiences or audiences that have walked away from theater for whatever reason. Now, that being said, we then do run into a problem in terms of the press. Here in LA, um, and I know this is replicated elsewhere, like I was mentioning, the alt-weeklies, they've been, they're, they're quickly being dismantled, particularly the arts coverage. We know that we lost, here in LA, we lost Zach Pincus Roth, who was the arts editor. Uh, he's gone to work at the Washington Post. Uh, he was the arts editor over at LA Weekly. He was a champion for this form, uh, really helped us out, helped our, get our footprint bigger and bigger. Um, Bill Radin is still over there and he's doing great work and I run into him at shows and there's no one I enjoy seeing more to show than Bill. Um, and he's championing this form, which is so important. But we know that cracking through can be difficult. On the other hand, you know, look at what happened with Hopscotch. Look at how much attention they got. Granted, industry opera is working at a massive scale, and not everything can work at that massive scale. But my gut tells me that the form is interesting enough to people who have walked away from traditional theater, that that can be leveraged in terms of press. And that can be leveraged to get audiences who aren't typically engaged. And then let's start looking at the crossover spaces, you know? Let's look at your Disney fans. I mean, I'm basically, I'm about to describe you, Matthew. Let's look at the Disney fans. Let's look at people who go to escape rooms. Let's go look at people who go to extreme haunts and see that they that all of these things contain a seed that crosses over this idea of experience design in service of theme and narrative is aimed directly at that audience so could we be engaging better with things like scare la and the audience there could we be engaging better with all the people who do uh, you know mice chat and cover some of the theme park stuff yes and then some of the irony is is that some of the people who do like the theme park news they're putting this stuff on in florida like there's crossover there so there's a way to open this space out if we look in the corners that aren't well served already um and granted theater is definitely one of those corners but i think they're just one of those corners all right um that's my answer on that one. Um, the rough thing is I don't think people are adjusting to the form in in a great degree because they still don't entirely know what to make of it. Um, and that's the nature of the beast. All right. 
here we go. Uh, now we're going to head over to our audio question, which is from Daria. Hi, Noah. If you hear purring in the background, it's my cat. My name is Daria, and I'd just like to pose two pretty philosophical questions for you, so buckle in. I worked on the Mesmeric Revelations of Edgar Allan Poe last year, and just recently saw Sleep No More. I'm pretty excited about Immersive and where it's headed. A professor of mine is a little less than thrilled about it, however, accusing Immersive as being the result of, quote, more narcissistic audiences, unquote. What are your thoughts on this? And do you think there's a relationship between immersive theater and the less personable ways in which we've been communicating? Disclaimer, I'm low-key looking for some new tactics to use in our debates. Thanks. All right, Daria, that is excellent. Uh, for the first part, um, oh boy, your professor, oh man, uh, just leave me in a room with him for about 10 minutes. No, um... <laughs> I, I, I kind of really hate that point of view um, for this reason. Um, this, this work, it isn't about the fact that audiences are more narcissistic. Is that it's, it, this form of work, in a lot of ways, is more honest. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for that. I don't care. Um, it's more honest in addressing the fact that all art is phenomenological in nature. It is something that is happening inside the head of the observer slash participant. To approach experience design, and there's some great talks by uh, the late Brian Clark, who we lost last year, uh, about you know uh, experience design and uh, the history of phenomenology. You can you can search for those uh, online. I think I think there's some there's some videos of that. Um, there's there's a direct connection between viewing the world through that lens and communicating with your audience. Um, everything gets played out in the head of the audience, and I would say if anything, there's an arrogance to the notion of, well, I'm just going to put my words on a page and then someone's going to take those words and put them on a stage and it's going to be self-evident. And we know that's not true. I couldn't make heads or tails out of Shakespeare until about the fifth time I had beaten my head against one of the texts. And it finally cracked open for me and I could understand the language and now I can truly enjoy it. Now, Shakespeare knew his audience and was writing for his audience, but his audience is 400 years distant from us. There's a sea of experience that has happened in the culture between us and Shakespeare's audience. So when we get this stuff, even though so much of our culture and language, specifically so much of our language is is derived from Shakespeare's language, that's that's our key into it, but it's still alien. And think back when to when you first read it, everybody, and, and how hard it was. Now for something really fun, I want you to, you know, go from Shakespeare and pick up some Ben Johnson. I mean, that shit's unintelligible at first. I tried it. You know, I tried reading Ben Johnson thinking it'd be easy after reading Shakespeare, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because 
he's a totally different poet. And even though he's in the same era as Shakespeare, he's working with an entirely different tool set. The one difference is his audience was still primed to deal with that kind of language. What an experienced design, what an immersive design approach to theatrical experiences does is it considers what is necessary to prime the audience to receive the communication. Because the audience isn't necessarily narcissistic, it's that the audience has a million things distracting them from being in the present. And if all you're relying upon is standard convention to keep people in the game, then you are really leaning and you're, you're demanding that the text be brilliant, that the acting be incredible, and that the design be this side or that side of breathtaking. And it's totally fine to go that route. There's theatrical experiences in Persinium Theater that I've had which are just as intense and just as beautiful as anything else I've ever seen. And I wouldn't trade them for you know a better immersive experience somewhere. They are them. But this form is about being honest with the way that it is assembled in the head. And all art is assembled in the head. All art... I like to say this about film. The final, and here's, here's one for your tactic book. Look, the final edit of a film isn't in the director's hands or the studio's hands. It's in the head of the person who's watching. And the thing that this form adds when you're doing it right is you're remembering that that is what is going on. And so you design the environment around the person who is observing in order to shape their experience it's more work but it isn't necessarily narcissistic because it isn't necessarily about them it's about knowing that they're there and that you kind of have to i don't want to say defeat them but you have to snap them out of their heads and into the reality that you're making maybe that helps um here's the the other part of the question uh, the relation between immersive theater and the less personable ways that we're communicating, which is like a great question. And I want to say yes. And it's probably the inverse of what the professor is thinking. Because what people are looking for, well, I know what I'm looking for when I go to an immersive theater piece, is to get away from those less human ways of interacting. I want to be there in that moment. I don't want to have a picture box that I'm looking at. And I don't want to have a Brechtian sense of artifice. I'm desperately trying to get lost in the moment to forget that the fictive eye of my observing self exists because it is fictive. I just want to be there. I want to be experiencing what's going on around me, what might be happening to me or with me, but that's less important than the total 
moment of awareness. There's a, there's a way in which one gets put at ease when one of these things really works because you're just there. You're just there. And that, that may feel very Yoda-like and like I'm pointing to something that maybe can't be seen by someone who hasn't seen it before. But I'm afraid that's the territory that we're in on a certain level. I've been reading a lot of Alan Watts lately, so also I'm on a Zen kick. Um, yeah, it's a response. It's a rejection of our low bandwidth, emoji, texting, short attention span culture. It's an excuse to shut the phone off, put it in a Ziploc bag, put the Ziploc bag in a manila envelope, hand it to someone else, have them write your name on it, and stick it in a cubbyhole, and then go walk into a dark building and hope that you survive. Um, in my most megalomaniacal moments, I say it's the answer to this problem we have. I hope that helps, Daria. Uh, I honestly do. Ask me again in three weeks, I'll have a totally different answer. All right, hey, uh, let's do a simple one. Um, mostly because my brain's starting to hurt. Uh, Kellyan Adams from Boston, and I probably butchered your name, I'm sorry, uh, uh, had this question, sent it to me uh, about a week ago, and I realized, oh, this would be really good for this episode. Um, looking for some blogs and resources out there for people who are interested in this. Uh, that is a great question. Uh, indeed, part of the reason why we have the Medium collection, medium.com slash no-persinium, is to create some of that exact stuff. Um, got the glossary going on there, got the player's guide to immersive theater for folks um, really trying to codify this stuff uh, as best as we can. And it's something that I intend to revisit really soon because I feel like I've learned a lot of healthy lessons lately. Um, there was a piece I saw up in the Bay Area that was like a little invitational piece from uh, from uh, Bunny Holmes of the Vespertine Circus. She called Two Houses. And I feel like I walked away with a skeleton key uh, to a certain level of immersive experiences in that haven't told her that yet. I guess I just did. Hey, bunny. Um, that's a place to look uh, is there on our Medium collection. Uh, you should check out iSight, uh, I-S-I-T-E. They are at I underscore S-I-T-E on Twitter, and they have a Facebook group and a website. It, that also happens to be Dean Cornyn, who happens to be our Chicago curator. Um, totally, you should check that out. Um I would recommend getting into the history of the Cacophony Society in San Francisco. Uh, we touched on that a tiny, tiny bit in last week and the week before's episode, but I think you should um, you should learn more about how they approached things. Uh, you should definitely check out the Institute, which is the documentary about the Jejun Institute. Uh, you know, devour theme park blogs. Um, there's so much wisdom in the theme park design world when it comes to this stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff's happening over at HowlRound. Um, there's 
There's some great essays there that uh, I pointed uh, Kelly and out to. Uh, it's you know uh, Michael Tara Garver's uh, essays are some of the seminal work in this space. And then other than that, it's a lot of catch as catch can. I try and put as much stuff into the Twitter feed as possible. So if you really want to archive, just scroll through the No Presidium Twitter feed. I mean, there's about a, been about a year or two worth of me just like posting things from other places. Uh, actually, yeah, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I would say that uh, horrible as a, a function as Twitter can be, that might be the most nutrient-rich vein uh, that you could tap into, but it's going to take you back and it's going to take you time. So it's not necessarily efficient. Um, I, I, oh, oh, there was one, um, there was a, there was a piece today that was, um, um, by, by JD Carter, uh, about third rail, uh, and it was posted in a blog called extended play, uh, which is part of, uh, the civilians.org. So they've been doing work on uh, sort of uh, investigative theater, uh, and and this is crossing over into that zone. The other thing I would say is like check out your check out the VR blogs um, because it won't necessarily have a lot of stuff with the theater. But as I always say, the VR people are dealing with a lot of the same issues because really this is the same art form, just using different tools. Well. That was a lot longer of an answer than I was expecting and a lot longer of an answer than I gave you in Twitter, but there's that 140-character limit. Okay, finally, finally, you're probably as happier than I am uh, that I'm ending this one um, with one more question and another doozy at that. A uh, friend of the show, Dana Lurie Shaw, um, really good friend of the show, um, asks, what are some storytelling techniques you'd be interested in seeing incorporated into an immersive theater production that hasn't been done yet? This can be new tech, ancient techniques, or anything in between. Well, geez, Dana, why don't you just strip mine all of my ideas and just steal, steal, steal? No, no, no. Um, this one was hard. Uh, it's taking me days because... I don't have a list ready to go of like, I want to see this, I want to see that, I want to see the other thing. Partly because um, the thing I always want to see is something brand new, something unexpected. Um, it's almost more that there's a methodology that I like to see explored, a lot of which is, can you go back, can you find something that has been used in the past in some way, drag it out and see if it works, right? That's a big one there. But I'm going to draw from three areas, um, two of which are, are ancient, if you will, and one of which is pretty darn new, all of which have been touched upon, but I have not gotten to experience them directly so much. The first may freak you out a little bit, but I think people should really be looking at the occult and mystery cult work it's like the elysian mysteries and your golden dawns and your order of the silver star and all that sort of stuff there's an idea of initiating people and the different ways you can approach that which i think could prove to be really interesting if done in a sane safe respectful manner because 
This is supposed to be a dance, not an assault on the senses. You want to activate your audience, not subject your audience to your mad scientist ideas. You can offer them the opportunity to participate in your mad scientist ideas, but if you force it upon them, you stop being a designer and you start being kind of a sociopathic jerk. Um, that being said, totally mind the occult stuff, guys. It's dope. Um, <laughs> and there's a massive spike when I laughed into the microphone. I'm sorry. Uh, another one, and there was actually a piece in New York that recently dealt directly with this, is the idea of the memory palace. Um if you don't know what a memory palace is, uh, there is a fantastic scholarly work called uh, The Art of Memory by Francis Yates, who is a Giordano Bruno scholar that is about this sort of lost art form that was uh, critical to rhetoric for mm, a couple of thousand years of human history and sort of faded as the printed word, as like the mass-produced you know, post Gutenberg started to really fall out of use. You can see this uh, replicated in an artistic fashion in the BBC series Sherlock. Sherlock has a memory palace, uh, and it's 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 rad. It's a rad rad form. I think we're going to see a lot of the. If you're a VR designer, and you haven't read the Art of Memory, you need to shut this off. Go find a copy, absorb it as fast as you can. Took me a couple of years because it is academic writing and I'm not good with that. Um, but you need you need to understand this. Don't read the Wikipedia, all right? Don't just watch a bunch of episodes of Sherlock. Understand this shit. Um, there is an assumption in the Ars Memoriam that human memory has a bias towards spatial relationships. That's an assumption buried inside this ancient form. Um, I, I think they were onto something, and it's really something that feels like we lost it as we flattened out into the world of print, and it feels like it's something that is coming back as we advance into cyberspace and into augmented reality and mixed reality and into immersive designed spaces. I'll leave it at that. Um, the, th the last thing that I'd like to see used, and I know people are messing with this, I'd like to see people messing around with the uh, Bluetooth and iBeacon triggers. Uh, I want to see uh, the kind of effects we see in like escape rooms, um, but I want to see those tied to actors. I know some of it's got to be like some technological limitations, but I love the idea of producing environmental effects that are triggered by actor-audience interactions. Not audience space interactions, but actor-audience interactions. I like this idea of agency being this plastic thing that can then be represented in the physical space. Does that cost money? Yeah. Would it be easier just to embed these things in the walls? Yeah. An actor is obviously almost always going to be the most expensive part of running a show after the initial build. 
And that gets us into the whole realm of like money and how do we make this sustainable. But just for a minute, let me not be worried about that. And let me just blue sky here and imagine a world where actors could trigger an environmental effect based on the response of an audience member or based on what an audience member was carrying. That things just seem to happen by magic. I want to see that. All right. That's the open forum for this time out. We will do another one of these at some point. Um, hey, how do you contact us in the general? Well, the, oh, hold on before I do that. Um, there's a really great opportunity if you get no pro LA, if you're in Los Angeles, or if you're not in Los Angeles, but you intend to be in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area in May, the day shall declare it is coming back. And Annie Saunders, the creator of that show, has graciously offered to allow no proscenium readers to get in on an advanced sale that's going to happen before tickets go on sale to everyone else. This is, uh, I think this is a big deal. Myself, uh, I'm super excited that we get to do this with you guys. This is not something that we are doing because Annie gave us any money or anything of that nature. This is something that we're doing because we love Annie's show and Annie happens to love you guys. So this is as best we can come up with a reward for you is let you pick your, your date before everyone else gets in on it. So... Um, what you need to do if you want to be part of this is you need to go into the latest issue of No Pro LA and you need to click on the link that says opt in. There's two copies of it. Uh, opt into the presale. That will generate out an email that'll get sent to me uh, and I'm keeping track of those. And when the time comes, like the day before, or more than the day before, hopefully. No, the day before, because that's a better call to action. Yeah, so the day before they go on sale, we're going to send out an email that says the sale is starts tomorrow. And that's it. That's all there is to it. I'm keeping the emails this time out, so uh, your emails are not going to anyone else. They are preserved. You know I hate, 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 hate letting the emails get out to anyone else. I covered them. I'm like... Gollum when it comes to my process, uh, emails and uh, yeah so there you go and I, I won't I won't do a Gollum impersonation again I'm, I might do a droid impersonation at some point but I, I swear to you I won't do Gollum again I'm sorry but I'm not taking it out all right let's get into the usual here's how to find us if you want to email us about other things you want to tell us when your show is uh, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com um, I recommend the best day, the best day to send us show announcements is either the day before or the day of the deadline, because that's when we're really thinking about the show. Uh, send it in ahead of time uh, is fine. Just just realize, I'm, I'm really realizing, like the, that deadline is almost like a window. Um, that's going to be the most efficient. We will not lose track of you if you get us in that zone. Um, or just pester us, pester us before the deadline. I won't mind at all. It's hard to keep track of everything. Um, again, that's me being super apologetic. Um, but no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. Hey, um, 
there's a lot of people who are helping out and supporting the show. In fact, we just had someone jump in uh, very recently. We got a brand new supporter. And um, I'm going to try and and look up while we're talking here. Um, We had, um, oh, yes, here we go. Uh, Andrew Lowe. Uh, just joined in at the $5 pledge level on the Patreon. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, you Folks like you are making this show possible. We are looking at what we can do to start setting new goals and some new givebacks to everyone. Uh, I'm going to talk with that uh, with about that with Zay while I'm in New York. We're going to figure something out, start expanding here. Uh, because I don't want to just take everybody's money just for the sake of taking everybody's money, but I do want to point out that everyone who jumps in, even at the $1 level, they they make it easier for us to be better at this. Simple simple as that. Um, we, we incur some expenses with the show. Um, we aren't in the black at the moment. Um, we will be at some point this year until there's some other expense that moves us back out. But I I thank you all for keeping the show alive. And you do that at patreon.com slash no proscenium. Yes, it's not no dash proscenium. Because what's medium.com no dash proscenium gets confusing to me too, guys. Uh, that's where you find our essays and our reviews and whatnot. There's going to be uh, more stuff coming soon. Definitely have some thoughts. Definitely going to have some impressions from New York uh, while I'm there this coming month. Oh, this coming month. This month, April. Uh, oh, my God. It's almost here. I'm so excited. Um, what else? How else? Uh, at No Proscenium is the Twitter. Facebook.com slash No Proscenium is the Facebook. I'm at Noah J. Nelson. Um much love to Zay, to Albert, to Dean, the entire team. Um, still looking to open up another one this year. I've got a couple of leads, so I think we're going to have another newsletter. And let's um, let's see what else we can get going on. Um, this is a, a, a this gives my life meaning and joy more than anything else in like the past decade so i just really want to thank you guys and gals and folks who do not identify as either a guy or a gal because why well why should you have to make a choice let's be honest i'm not being flippant i mean really why bother making a choice um i just want to thank you all of you so much because it's one thing to go out into the world and find something that you think more people should know and love. And it's another thing to find the other people who love it as much as you do. That just makes everything better. So, thank you. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.